I think it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. In the center, Kane, goal. Alatelli, Aguero. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Joe and I back again to talk all things football, soccer, whatever you like to call it. Joe, how are you doing on this fine Monday night? I'm doing all right. <laughs> are you doing better than I think... 48 hours ago? No, but I, do. <laughs> I think uh, the beauty of football is one day you're the cock of the walk and the next you're a feather duster. Uh, what a difference a week makes for so many of these teams. Uh, it's incredible the difference 90 minutes can make. It sure is. It sure is. Before we dive into it, Joe, if anyone wants to reach out to us and send us an email, how can they do that? Yep. Uh, they can email us at the wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. Again, the wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod. Check out our website, wrongfootpodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review. Uh, I haven't checked if anyone's left us a review yet. Probably should do that and read them if anyone has. The good, the bad, the ugly. We'll read them all, Joe. Um, should, we, should we dive in? Uh, <laughs> And get started wow. talking wow. about. I, I know, like you're a little butterfly, so <laughs> I think you know where we're starting. So, well, I think let's start where history beckons. The uh, the conspiracy theorists amongst us would probably say that my uh, Man United are in the title race was all just a reverse jinx for this weekend to have happened. Um, that is not true. I genuinely thought they looked half good until. Well, actually, John, I, I was making some notes during this uh, ahead of the podcast and. I was making it in real time, so I'm going to read you what I very, wrote. Very professional of you. Very I, know, professional. I, I, I take this thing seriously. So my oh, my, my, su- my, my summary of the first half of Liverpool versus Man United was Liverpool played better, but United looked more likely to score. It felt like it was only a matter of time uh, with the ease that they created chances, a lot like the Madrid game, uh, which we saw Liverpool. But then Gakpo scored a nice goal right before half time. Uh, which should boost Liverpool to go on uh, and try and get something out of this game. Now, little did I know that that comment was an understatement that Liverpool would go on and build off that one goal and score a further six goals in the second half. Um, and Man United would just somehow self-destruct beyond what you would ever expect them to self-destruct. But like, I truly believe... like. The first half was pretty like the scoreline at the end of the day. Like there was one side in it for the second half, but like the first half, and I don't know. Like I said, I'm reading this as I wrote that before I knew what was going to happen in the second half, and it's easy to think back now that Liverpool destroyed them because they did. But am I wrong in thinking that like Man United weren't that bad in the first half, right? <laughs> no, I think this was like a three-one-four-one that got a little out of hand. <laughs> But like they they create good chances, and I think they created the better chances until the Gagpo goal, which you seem to kind of uh, walk through. Your, your boy Fred was kind of in no so, man's land. <laughs> uh, so what I would say about the first half is like I felt like man, if this makes sense, Man United had the better of the play, but Liverpool had the better of the opportunities. See, I think it was the other uh, way around. It, I feel like Liverpool uh, were kind of controlling it, but Man United, like, they had the Fernandes header, they scored a couple of goals, both, like, or, like, scored one goal, sorry, the, the 
Casemiro one, but he was clearly offside. But like, I don't know before the Gakpo goal, like the like the clear chance that Liverpool had. Like De Gea didn't. I think he only made one save all game. He only had eight shots on target. Seven of them went in. Is that a good save percentage? <laughs> I'm gonna guess not. I'm not, I'm not that quick at maths, but uh, uh, twelve and a half percent. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I just, I, uh, well, and regardless, I think, like, I think, like, yeah, I think the the second half, like you say, got got out of control, and it was just you know, <laughs> signs that the doom and gloom that I've spoken about Liverpool over the past few months on this podcast, like these players didn't forget how to play football overnight. I think there was an element of a few things going on. There was the fatigue, uh, like a few grueling seasons, you know, they, you'd added new pieces in, uh, which I think this was the first game that there'd been signs in, in recent games against kind of lesser opposition where the front three of Gagpo, Nunez and, and Salah started to look like a, a front three that could cause problems. Um, but this game, it really came together and, you know, each of them getting two goals, Start adding a couple of assists to that as well. Um, it, it just looked like, oh no, this is like Liverpool haven't gone away overnight. And I, I know that you'll say that was obviously not going to happen, but you know, it's easy to be doom and gloom when you have been blessed with such great seasons recently and then this season had been so poor. But um, yeah, uh, and I just don't know what happened to Man United. Like, I feel they they genuinely gave up after about three or four nil. I think like Bruno Fernandez will get into him as as much as we need to, but like he he like did the opposite of quiet quitting in this game and basically like loudly quit on the team. Like he's he's the captain. You can't be doing that, um, which is a bit insane. But yeah, like uh, it was just insane. It was great. Like great atmosphere. Threw it back in Ten Hag's face, who decided to say before the game that you know playing at Anfield is like playing anywhere else, and you know I get what he's trying to say there and, and downplay it, but I think uh, those words probably came back to haunt him because Anfield was certainly buzzing and Liverpool just they literally couldn't miss. Like I said, they only there was only one shot on target that didn't result in a goal, um, which is just kind of crazy and insane. But yeah, it was a great game, Liverpool. I just want them to push on from this. Like, I think it's it's easy to get carried away with the seven nil scoreline, but really, if you go away to Bournemouth, I think it is 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 their next game. If you go away there and you struggle again, and you know you you, you barely can score a goal or you don't score a goal, it's like well, winning seven nil as much as it's nice against a big rival like Man United, it's it's kind of pointless if if you then don't build off this and and hopefully they do. Um, I think. With the the Champions League game against Madrid, I think this will give them some kind of spirit to go into that and kind of. I, I don't think they're going to turn that tie around. I think Madrid are too good, um, but you know, I would have said that about Barcelona a few years ago. Uh, but I, I think this it's a bridge too far for this team. But at least kind of go out respectively and kind of give Madrid a good game in Madrid. But yeah, it was it was great to see. It was fun to watch. Um, it's the Liverpool that we've seen in recent years, and I don't think. Even some of the good wins they've had this season, it hasn't looked um, as kind of seamless as this, and everything they touch kind of turned to gold. But I think that's enough for me, kind of gushing <laughs> over this this game and enjoying it. But it's it's been, yeah. And I know you you'd like to kind of point out to the fact of the great seasons Liverpool had recently. So talking about the doom and gloom that has been the season, it's kind of like, well, it's, it's not that bad when the last five years have been what they are. But yeah, this was this was a nice kind of pick me up from what had been a down season. But your thoughts on this one, Joe? 
Well, stay tuned to my losers. Uh, you just brought, you just struck something. So, <clears throat> my loser of the week will will come back to this game. But um, what I will say, um, so obviously, I wanted to give you your space. I say what you said. Um, I think the biggest thing about this is, uh, you know, United still top of the league uh, in comparison to Liverpool, right? Third versus fifth, and they do have a trophy, even if it is the League Cup, and they're still in the FA Cup, and they're still in the Europa League. Liverpool are down <laughs> three goals in the Champions League, are out of the FA Cup. Obviously, we're out of the League Cup and aren't fifth in the Champions League, uh, fifth in you know the Premier League. So with all that being said, what does this game mean, right? I think that's the biggest thing. How do what do we extrapolate from this game? Mm-hmm. And I think on the Liverpool side, if you're a Liverpool fan, I do think there's some fool's gold here. But I think the most important thing, and I think the thing that you can really hold on to, and I think the thing that could set up Liverpool for years to come is the front three. I mean, yeah. Darwin Nunez was fantastic. Cody Gakpo, I think, is somebody who, you know, we, we were a little unsure about it, like why are they getting another forward? Like right. we both agreed the price was great. So I think what, the, and I think what we're starting to see is like if you get a good player and the price is right, I think you have to sign him, even if he doesn't address a critical need. Right. You, you still want to sign him, right? And. I think, you know, look, this is this is a team that still doesn't have, you know, Diaz and, you know, Diego Jota is just coming back from, from injury. So this is a team up front that has a lot of talent, and now that talent, we're starting to see it, right? I think Salah, I mean, his two goals uh, was kind of like finishing off garbage and deflections, <laughs> but he still finished them, and I think he made a few great runs in this game. Right. You know, he set up the Gakpo third goal, that, you know, Gakpo chip, but I think for me in this game what was so impressive is the movement between Nunes and Gakpo. Right. They were kind of interchanging at times. The, the chemistry was, was unbelievable for guys who've, you know, only played for about two, basically two months, if that, and I was very impressed with that front three, and no matter how bad and how many goals you let allow, on the other end, if that three, that front three is in form, you have something going. Now, I think where the fool's goal kind of comes in is the midfield right. and the defense, right? Um, they were fantastic in this game. Jordan Henderson, Fabinho, and Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott played the best game I think I've ever seen him play. Um, I think Jordan Henderson kind of found the final youth, and I thought Fabinho also did a little bit too. Um what I would what I would say about that is, you know, maybe Harvey Elliott's a possible long term solution. Uh, we saw was it by by Teach. I always screw up his name. Uh, he's another one who could potentially be a midfielder. But I think when you're looking for this team in the future, they need one elite midfielder. Obviously, Jude Bellingham would fit that right. criteria. But when I look at this team, if this, these front three are what I think they're starting to become, and the electric playmakers that they are. Um, what they really need is a great defensive midfielder. Um, you know what Jordan Henderson used to be, right? right. And um, I think Fabinho, you got to take a chance because obviously Liverpool doesn't have oodles of money. Um, if they could get you know a second midfielder in, I think that'd be great. But I think really the one uh, midfielder that they need is someone like a Duke Bellingham. Right. And then defensively, they weren't really tested too much in this game. But I think... Um, you know, Van Dyke isn't quite what he used to be. I think Kanate is decent. Uh, but I think the real question, and I think they could obviously, you know, add a center back and add depth there, is what do you do with these, the, the right and left back, right? Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, we all know how talented he is going forward. Defensively, he lose a lot to be desired. Robertson, not quite to the extent, but in a similar boat. 
And so I think when we're looking at Liverpool going forward this year, because I think the goal is obviously to get into the top four, which they're, if you look at the bookies, they're the clear favorite to finish in the top four. I think it really comes down to how good can the back line be and how how many kind of turn back the clock performances can they get from Jordan Henderson and Fabinho and can they just kind of eke it out right because I, I, I you know like as you mentioned we've seen plenty of diet performances just a week ago against Palace they they right. didn't really do much in a nil-nil so I wouldn't read overly too much into this match other than what the front three did and what they could be and I think that's really when I'm looking at Liverpool going forward and then finishing the top four it's about them the, the front three being in similar form and scoring and the midfield and the defense doing just enough to get them over the line where they can add reinforcements in the summer transfer window. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it, that finishing that top four spot, being in the Champions League next year kind of opens up that transfer market so much more for players who, you know, yep. the elite players that are going to want to play in the Champions League. If you miss that, it's it's a bit of a harder sell and it doesn't mean it's impossible to, to sign good players, but it, it just makes it so much easier if, you know, you can sell European football. So I think, yeah, that has yep. to be the focus and, yeah, the, the future and is bright. quickly... And then quickly, uh, we obviously, I think we talked about Liverpool. Uh, your thoughts on United? I just think they gave up, like, which, you know, it was kind of signs of the, the pre-10 Hogman United that we've seen in recent years where, you know, the game's not going perfectly their way and they just kind of implode. And, um, yeah, I think... 3-0, 7-0, I don't think there's much difference here. I think, you know, there is, to me, you should be playing for a bit more pride than that. But, you know, there was clear players just, like you say, Bruno Fernandes, he's going to be my loser of the week, spoiler alert. Because Oh, I, he, don't spoil it. <laughs> he, he, like, he just straight up quit. Like, I know he's now saying that, no, he didn't ask to be substituted. But, like, when Rashford went off, he basically said, why can't I come off? Uh, he got in, like, an altercation with the referee's assistant for, like, no apparent reason when it was, I think, 6-0 at that point. And it's just, like, the guy just, one, he wasn't playing great. Like, I think they did lose a midfield battle against a not-great midfield. Um, and he just wanted to be anywhere but there and that's kind of yeah like I, I can't imagine being in his shoes and being down that big against a local rival but like he's the guy that's got to step up and at least you know show some some character and he didn't um which was disappointing yeah and yeah they didn't really there's not really much to say about them because <laughs> there's a second half i don't know if they had the ball much for the, for the second half really yeah, so I think there's been kind of three constants with Man United because I don't love this. Like when I look at this eleven, or and, I, and I've said this on the podcast, I just I don't love this eleven, mm-hmm. um, and I think they've kind of overachieved. But the three things that I think have really helped them out were um, Ten Hag's um, tactical changes at halftime. I thought he really got that wrong. I mean, he put McTominay in there in like the 65th minute when they were down 3-0. That really did nothing. He, he so many times this year had the answers, and then this game was the opposite. Um, secondly, Casemiro has been excellent for them, and he didn't really add too much to them um, in, in this defense. He just kind of got, I mean, by Fabinho, by Elliott, by, they just kind of owned him in this game. And that was surprising. Like, that's not what you expect from your experienced 100 million pound uh, summer signing and then thirdly and I, I don't want to completely blame him and it's you know he's he's basically asked to do everything it's it's Rashford right he wasn't he didn't really get too many chances but the one or two chances he did get he didn't necessarily take advantage of, advantage of like he's done so many times so far this year and I think 
you know, the failings of this United team, like even when I look at these two teams, like Liverpool have so much more talent in the attacking front than, than United do. You know, you didn't, United's really built on their, you know, Varane and Alessandro Martinez at the back, right? And Casemiro being great defensively. And it's like kind of like the inverse of these, you know, two teams and how they're built. But when I look at this United front line, I just, I don't rate Anthony, you know, 100 million pounds lining. I just, I just do not see it. Right. Val Veghorst, I think, is a nice player. You know, I love him, but <laughs> he's not like a Premier League, Champions League starting striker. Right. He's kind of just like a, you know, like a what do you call it? Like a like a quick fix, basically. You know, yeah, so I, I just think this these are two teams, <laughs> despite the score. Um, you know, I think that I think they both will finish top four, and I think they both have big challenges in the summer to get them to the next level united it's to to find more attacking playmakers um in the in the front you know three front four that they can that can be more efficient than anthony is and then that vecforce has been and then a liverpool as we've talked about it's the midfield and the defense and sharing that up and that's kind of what so many of these club teams have been built on but i think both these teams have their clear strengths they have their clear weaknesses you know, in this game, I think it you know, Liverpool surely exposed United's weaknesses. Uh, United did kind of, as you mentioned, throw in the towel. And, you know, it's important not to get carried away with this result. But at the same time, it's if you're a Liverpool fan, to beat United 7-0, even, you know, it's it's a, you know, it's a magical day, right? And I don't want to take that away from anyone, even if the score is a little, you know. Inflated. Not overrated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Inflated. But uh, it's just, it was a monumental day. But I do think it's important to enjoy it, but to also keep, keep you know, keep your feet on the ground and understand this is just one of thirty-eight games. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's it, it's all about Liverpool top four right now. Man United the same, like you say, they still got their their eye on a couple of other pieces of silverware. Which you know, I would argue FA Cup they're probably one of the favorites, maybe behind, like probably behind Man City at this point after yep, this weekend. Second favorite, yep. And then, you know, the Europa League after beating Barcelona, I think that was kind of, most people probably pegged that as the winner is probably going to do do very well in that tournament. So they've still got a yep. lot to play for. And uh, yeah, like I say, I think it, the, the scoreline was inflated. But let's move on to another game, which uh, could have caused probably a bigger shock than that scoreline, which saw Arsenal uh, leave it very, very, very late. Uh, to take all three points at home against Bournemouth. Uh, Joe, did you see the first goal live? Because I was still trying to kind of get everything set up for which games I wanted to watch and on various devices. And before I blinked, it was already 1-0. Because I think, what was it, nine seconds? Bournemouth decided to score. Um, yeah, that was insane. Did you see it live? Or were you, were no, you like I, me I trying did. to get caught up? <laughs> no, I did. I had because, you know, Tom and I were playing at the same time. I had those two TVs set up pretty quickly. So, yeah, I did see it. I, I almost couldn't believe it. But because, uh, you know, the goal, like, it looked like it was kind of a set formation because they had so many guys line up on the halfway line. And then uh, the ball just kind of trickled through, you know, and, and I found billing. And uh, it looked like, you know, Arsenal defenders were kind of at loss and. Which is an odd start, but I, I will say in this game, and we're going to talk about how great it is and what a comeback and what a win and all that, yada, yada, yada. Um, obviously, corner kicks were essential in this game, but more more than that, I would like to say there was not a second in this game I didn't think Arsenal were going to win. Right. Now, that could be me by being negative and watching other games at the same time and realizing how negative I was about that and <laughs> figuring, oh, Arsenal are going to do it. 
And and so I, I really felt like at no point in this game were Arsenal not going to win. Um, yeah. So with that being said, let's get into the game a bit. Yeah, so even, uh, like I say, Bournemouth, it was, yeah, it, it almost looked like something from the training ground. Like, I'm guessing this is something they planned and probably just never really pays off. And I think the Arsenal players were kind of, it, it kind of found its way to billing and I don't think they'd kind of really switched on fully and it was kind of a tap in at the back post. But there was a chance, like, after that, like you say, I think Arsenal then, it was just, the whole game was just all Arsenal, like, Bournemouth, and, and, and understandably so, right? Like, kind of a smash and grab, you get the early lead, you know, you, you, you're going, you're, you're in the relegation battle, you're away at the top of the league, you're going to get a goal and you're going to try and sit on it and just spoil the game. But Arsenal were just, like, so good, um, aside from kind of finding the final product. But there was a chance... I think it was around the 20-minute mark. Like, Bournemouth could have easily made it 2-0. Like, they counterattacked. Yep. They did try Rimsdale to... Rimsdale made a great save. Great yeah. save. Like, a good yep. counterattack, good play. And, like, I think if it had been 2-0, I think the, the, the game would have still panned out the same in terms of Arsenal just dominating. But I think that was kind of... I don't want to say where Bournemouth lost it, but like that was their goal. No, because they went up two 0 in the fifty seventh minute off a corner kick, of course. Right, which um, would have been three 0 so, though if they'd already made it two 0 So yeah, but I just think no matter what, I just felt like Arsenal <laughs> were going to eventually score, and, and maybe Bournemouth could have gotten a draw out of it. But I just never felt like um, you know Arsenal were going to have the chances. It was just about finishing it, right? Yeah. Um, no, it and was... that's kind of kind of what happened. And they just had, they had so much of the ball. You, you know, you mentioned corners. I think what did they finish? Seventeen corners to one corner. Right, and um, two of those goals basically came off corners, right? Right. And um, and this is so much when we talk about you know a team that has possession, right? So many of the better chances Arsenal had, they didn't score. But right. what happens is when you constantly have the ball on the other end, you get more corners, you get more, you know, balls in the box, and it's deflections, and there's, con- you know, it's not necessarily the most beautiful goals that get the job done, right? The Thomas Partey goal was just kind of the ball bouncing around him, making a great run, and just knocking into the back of the net, right? right. <laughs> the Reese Nelson, the third goal, was off a corner, deflects perfectly to him, and a <laughs> sublime finish, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so he absolutely deserves credit, but it was just kind of a, a bouncing, bouncing ball that you know off corner and it just comes to the right spot and you nail it right and you took advantage of that opportunity um and that's so much of what this is right like well you know we're going to talk a lot about a lot of corner kick goals a lot of deflections (laughs) a lot of balls off poles that get deflected and guys just are in the right spot that so much of the time that's how you score it's not these beautiful passages of play that we see so often from man city sometimes it's just simply you create enough chances, you get a deflection, you get a ball in the box, you just fall to the right spot, and you can finish it, right? Yeah. And that's what Arsenal did in this game. Yeah, I think this was, uh, and we've kind of mentioned the typical Man City performance, and like this was a, like that's what we mean by when we talk about a typical Man City performance, is like this game. So they Arsenal finished with 31 shots. Yes, only nine shots on target, but like 31 shots, like when, when you're talented as Arsenal, you have 31 shots, you have 17 corners, like... There's, there's, and you're playing bottom of the league. I don't know if they were bottom at the time. Um, like one of the bottom teams early weren't bottom at the time, but like they were just above Southampton. But when you're in that situation, like it, it is inevitable. And like you say, the sense was 
it's going to be a shock if Arsenal don't win this game, even when it was 1-0, obviously so quick. And you can kind of write that off because it was so quick. Um, I was shocked that they hadn't scored by halftime. I was then shocked that they, they went 2-0 down. Um, and it took them until just after the hour mark to get that first goal. But, like, it, it's yeah, I don't think you're ever in doubt. And it, it reminds me of the, the Man City game at the, the end of last season when they were 1-0 down and then they uh, – it was a Gundaran had his two goals in in a couple of minutes to basically seal the title for them. But like that was a similar sort of game where it's just like this is coming, right? Like you're just waiting for one of these chances to go in, um, and Arsenal just they didn't panic either, right? Like they just stuck to the plan. They just kept recycling the play, going through the motions, and just attacking, attacking, attacking. And it wasn't probably the scoreline anyone would have expected especially Bournemouth with their goal scoring struggles that we've we've spoken about in the past but like it was just yeah it was just a matter of time and, and Arsenal like credit to them just like I say they didn't panic it didn't look like oh this is where the wheels fall off a bit um, and they don't know how they just kind of stayed calm I don't like from the players I don't, I don't know if I can speak for all the fans I'm sure there was some some fans in at the Emirates that were a little kind of their blood pressure was probably a bit elevated but in in terms of the t- the players on the pitch like they never looked stressed in this game really like they just kept going through it pushing through and yeah yep. they, they got the result in the end yep so I just want to give credit to Reese Nelson obviously change the game you know we've, we've kind of said oh do, do Arsenal have the squad well <laughs> Reese Nelson filled in brilliantly, set up the Ben White goal where I don't want to, you know, slag off Neto too much, but uh, get it across your line a little bit quicker so you're not defending it behind the line. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously the third goal we talked about, um, just had an opportunity and took full advantage of it. <clears throat> obviously, Bournemouth's disappointing. Fi- you know, winning three points here would have been like finding gold. <laughs> Even a point would have been so useful. Um and now I think it's just the fighting loss. The one thing I will say, people like, you know, the common line when Arsenal won this game was like, oh, this is what champions do and all this. And it's like, I, I've been more positive, I think, than almost anyone in Arsenal. So I feel like I can say this and, and people hopefully don't think I'm being biased when I say this. This was not like, you know, this was not a championship performance. Like, it was great that they rescued the three points. But, you know. This was a week where Man City was playing Newcastle. We were expecting that to be the more challenging game. I actually was playing Bournemouth. They looked not great. This is coming off of, you know, a few recent games, specifically the Villa game where they just kind of eat out a victory. And, like, yeah, it's nice to have these wins, and it shows, you know, intestinal fortitude to push through. But the bottom line is their performances have to be better. If They're not going to be able to keep pulling a rabbit out of their hat. Right. So much. And even though they won this game, they did it against a bad, you know, a relatively weak, you know, Bournemouth team. And Bournemouth, you know, Bournemouth almost had one and a half XG, you know, and right. it felt that way. Like they, Bournemouth had, you know, if, you know, we talked about the Ramsdale save. Obviously, they scored both off, uh, you know, they scored off a corner in that first, you know, nine second, you know, uh, play. <laughs> but yeah, but I think so much of. You know, if you're Arsenal, like, you know, every performance is not going to be brilliant. So I do want to caveat that, you know, by saying that. But they really need to pick up their, their play because if they keep finding themselves in these situations, they're going to get bitten one too many times. Yeah. And like, I think true champions, if you look at some of the dominant champions, obviously Man City, uh, Liverpool, the year they won it, like, they wouldn't have been two nil down against Bournemouth, right? To have to come back. So, so it's kind of like, yeah, at so home. At home, right? Like, I, I, and I yeah. think I think that's that's a little unfair because I think, as we've mentioned, the the scoreline was probably a little 
flattering to to Bournemouth here. Um, it it in, is in, in a sense where game. I think in sense of when the goals happen, but I really think Bournemouth and most times they play this game in the way that it played, they would have scored at least two. I think a lot of right. times. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just conceptually people are saying it's a championship uh, champions performance in terms of, you know, yeah. you, well, you're down, you come back, uses, and, you know? and it's easy to, yeah, to band it's about. But this was also coming all off cliches. the... cliches. <laughs> exactly. That's what football's about, you know? Yeah, it's all about yeah. the cliches. Part but... and parcel of the game. <laughs> the, uh, this was also coming off the pressure of that Man City put on uh, Arsenal in the early kickoff as they, as you mentioned, they took on Newcastle, which I think Newcastle looked good for about the first 10 minutes of this game. <laughs> Um, yep. they, they came out with a bit of spirit, a bit of energy, you know, um, a bit of kind of pace to their game. And then I, 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 I get to your point about Arsenal never looking like they were going to lose. I, I never really felt once, especially once Foden scored the goal at the 15-minute mark, I didn't feel like this game was ever going to go another way. Um, did you feel the same? I didn't see a lot from Newcastle. I think, you know, the issues that we have talked about multiple times, I think both Joe Linton and... Uh, What's his name? Wilson kicked thin air at some point in, in the area instead of the ball uh, for a kind of easy, easy chances. And I think their their lack of a true striker and a true goal scorer uh, really showed in this game. But I think that's also generous because yeah, I think Man City really kind of had control of this game. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's kind of crazy for me to say this with, you know, Bernardo Silva on the bench and Julian Alvarez, who we saw in the World Cup, and Calvin Phillips and Riyad Mahrez. But I think this is City's best 11. I think Pep finally found his best 11. Well, you know, he constantly changes it, so I'm sure it won't be consistent. But, <laughs> you know, Phil Foden is so good. Like, you know, he scored the first goal, kind of in cuts trickles through like three or four defenders and just, you know, has enough of an angle to score. And I just think he's so dynamite and he should be playing almost every game and i understand they have this insane depth but when i look at this front four of Grealish, de bruyne foden holland those are the four that i think should be starting most of most of the time you know gunduan and Rodri do you know obviously great midfielders i just i just i feel like this is the best 11 like i said it's crazy you know bernardo Silva, who scored a goal in this game you know two <laughs> minutes after coming on um, Julian Alvarez, you know, these are great players, but I just, I think Phil Foden is, is showing me the class that he has. And I just think he, he adds something to this team that they don't have when they play those other guys. Um, so I, you know, I think that's the big thing for me. And I think, you know, we're, we've talked a lot, we're going to talk about a lot of kind of garbage goals. Man City's both goals are typical Man City, beautiful play, you know, Foden cuts in and scores the first one. Yeah. Bernardo's Bernardo Silva on the second one. So this was a very city-like performance, and I think we've talked about it. They're not quite the city of the last few years. That's why they're in this title race right now. But I thought this was a very good performance. The first time they've cut the clean sheet in a very long time, which is impressive. Um, in Newcastle again, I think I don't think they really created much in this game. You know, it's usually hard against you know City, but they didn't really have anything on the counter attack. And they're just, you know, it's this continued rut that they're in. It's just, we've, I don't want to continue waxing on about it because we've mentioned it so many times. But, you know, Callum Wilson, Almiron, Gordon, I think Guermish is a very good player. But there's just not enough uh, class and ability in this squad for Newcastle to consistently score enough um, 
to get into the top four, in my opinion, right? It's almost like the opposite of Liverpool. Liverpool can score the goals, but they'll ship them in. Right. Newcastle just cannot score goals. And if you can't consi- consistently get three points, you're just you're not going to make top four. Yeah, I think Newcastle's thing is like once you're one 0 down, you're in trouble, right? Like once if if, if you keep yeah. clean sheets, like they went on that crazy run of keeping clean sheets, keeping games close. But like in those games when they would win one 0 maybe two 0 like it wasn't like they were winning four five 0 when they were keeping those clean sheets. And it's it's yeah, it was the same in the the League Cup final that once Man United got two 0 up, you're like, nah, that's that's pretty much it. I don't see where they're gonna get it. And it was similar to this. Foden gets the goal and. Yeah, I, I never really felt like they were fretting. Um, and, yeah, I, I would be nervous as a Newcastle fan. I wouldn't be say I'd be new, nervous. Like in terms of, <laughs> I think this this season's still going to be a success, as, as we spoke about last week with, you know, making the final and, and how they're progressing. But I think their, their top four hopes are slowly getting smaller and smaller, um, especially if, if some of the teams around them are hitting form, like, like Liverpool. Um, Tottenham will get onto them in a bit, but... Uh, yeah, I think I think they they need to address this in the summer, and I'm sure they will with their their deep deep pockets. But Man City, I, do you think Man City can close the gap on Arsenal, or do you think it's kind of there's enough of a gap that Arsenal can probably always just just about stay ahead with how the two teams are playing? Well, I think it's it's the basic thing where these two teams are going to be playing in a few weeks time. Uh, City are currently five points down. If City win that game, I think they will probably win the league. If Arsenal can go to the Ithiad and get a draw or even win, I think they're going to win the league. I mean, I hate to be as simplistic as that, but I would favor me and City to pick up a few more points um, over the last, what, 12, 13 games. But if Arsenal can stem that tide, especially at the Ithiad, I think they can do just enough to keep themselves above water. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's uh, switch our attention now onto the the other end of the table, which I think probably had a lot more talking points uh, over the weekend. Joe, you text, uh, text the group chat that we're in about the Southampton-Leicester game being, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote primetime Saturday night, Saturday evening, Saturday lunchtime over here game being Southampton versus Leicester as quite a uh, an interesting choice to to put that spotlight on but I feel like it delivered you know 1-0 people might look at that like oh 1-0 like that's not that exciting but you know our boy uh, Ward Prowse decides to to miss a penalty so I guess he's only good from set pieces outside the box um, well it was saved I want to give him that credit I don't want to say that it was uh, a, a miss um, yeah what were your thoughts on, on Southampton and Leicester I think this was obviously a huge huge win three points for Southampton which is keeping them relevant uh, I've, I think I've probably been maybe overly harsh on them in recent weeks and kind of resigned them to, to being relegated but you know they, they find themselves at the, the back of this weekend well in that relegation battle and you know one win from being out of the relegation zone uh, so yeah what were your thoughts on, on this Southampton Leicester game Carlos Alcaraz made a brilliant run to put Southampton up. And I think the, the huge thing, it's not always just that you score, it's also when you score. And this was only a few minutes after the Ward Prowse missed penalty when I'm right. sure the whole stadium was deflated. So to get back that goal so like right away, I think that just peps up the stadium brilliantly. Um, you know, I think I don't 
like I actually think that last year were the slightly better team, not like dramatically so, but slightly better team. Obviously, they had more of the possession. Southampton were primarily on the counter, and I think they were effective on the counter um, for the most part. But when I look at this game, I just uh, I, I wouldn't be overly excited if I was either one of these teams. I think <laughs> it's a massive three points for Southampton, right? Like they, they were sitting on 18 in the bottom. Now they have 21. You know, they're they're literally just. Um, I guess their goal difference is pretty crappy, but you know they're they're only two points away from from being out, right? They're they're within a game, which is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know no matter how, even if I don't rate them too highly, it doesn't necessarily matter if they get the points, right? Southampton are clearly a team that all that matters right now is the result. It's not about the process. It's not about anything. Just trying to find a way to get three points. And if you're at home and you can get in a six pointer against Leicester, you can get the three points. That's critical. Yeah, and I think um, we probably sound a little bit like broken records when we talk about some of these teams and their inability to score, and that's where it's going to be the problem. Um, we've obviously spoken about that with Leicester. We've spoken about Southampton, Bournemouth, basically anyone, and that's the reason why they're all struggling. And I think this is what's going to come down to who makes it or breaks it in the, in the relegation battle is who can scrap one of these one nil victories over a rival and you know you string a couple of those together with other teams around you you're going to be in kind of good stead and uh, yeah it's, it's going to come down to that it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be you know the the free-flowing yeah. football and but dominant if wins, southampton but... stay up it ain't going to be pretty we can no. assure you that <laughs> maybe a james ward prowse free kick will be pretty but that's about it yeah, so it's going to be like these games are going to be decided by an old goal. And, you know, it's going back to all of our cliches. Like, this is a game of fine margins. And, you know, you thought maybe Leicester were probably going to be on the up after the, the penalty save. And the, kind of, like you say, I think it was perfect. It was an instant response almost to that. Um, and kind of kept, like, the crowd would have been out of it, right? Like, I think if you go into halftime nil nil and you've missed a penalty, that crowd is going to be thinking, here we go again. Um, but instead, they had yep. something to shout about. But yeah, yeah. Right? And on the Leicester side, uh, <laughs> Ianacho. Oh my goodness! Almost single-handedly, at least cost them a draw. I mean, he was just wretched up front. I mean, so many missed chances. Um, you know, Madison and Barnes, they thought were okay. And I, but I think this thing with Leicester is just like, I mean, I don't, I know they only gave one goal, but their back line is just wretched. You know, I don't need to give about face any more crap, but uh, <laughs> it's just not good enough at the back and. I mean, this Leicester team is really... I'm just really unimpressed. Yeah, I mean, it, they create a lot of chances. I mean, they've scored uh, a boatload. I mean, they've scored 36 goals, which is, just to put it in perspective, it's 16 more than Southampton. It's 17 more than Everton. It's 16 more than Forest to have more points. It's, you know, 17 more than Wolves. I mean, they're 36 goals. I mean, that puts them in the Fulham, Brighton, Brentford range, right? That's 36 goals is more than Newcastle have scored. So, I mean, you know, they can score, but and they couldn't in this game, ironically enough. But, you know, they can create chances no matter what. It's just they're terrible at the back. And, you know, if they're having an off day up front, they're in trouble. And I just, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, they have James Madison, who's a class player. They have more talent than a team like Southampton. I just, you know, they're they're in the mix of it. Yeah, I was going to mention Madison because obviously he missed a bit of time of injury. There was talks of whether he was going to stick around and, and all that fun stuff through January. And, like, one guy can only do so much. And, you know, we talk about this with James Ward-Prowse and his free kicks. It's like Madison can only create so many chances for the rest of his team to squander, right? Like, he, and it's like, 
the more he does that, I think the more it, I think the writing's on the wall for his longevity with this team, especially if they do go down. But I, yeah, I, I worry for them. But again, I'd rather be them than you know they still got five teams below them that still have to overtake them at some point, right? So until that happens, they're in a in a better position. But let's move on to one of the, if not, I think I would say is probably the most enjoyable game. Obviously, Liverpool Man United is very enjoyable for me, but uh, I thought Nottingham Forest versus Everton gave us kind of the opposite of this this Leicester Southampton game. Uh, which was, you know, two teams that are struggling, but I still think it was a good game and it was fun to watch. Um, I can probably talk for the next hour about how good Brennan Johnson looked in this game. I thought he was like electric. The first goal, um, obviously kind of, it was a good save by Pickford that just fell into his path to tap home. But like, I feel like the second half, he was the dominant force in this game, which helped Forrest get the draw. I thought he looked electric and, and lively every time he had it, but I think this was a game of two halves, and obviously, again, going back to our cliches, I think Everton probably deserved to be 2-1 up at halftime. They go ahead with the penalty, and then uh, Decore scoring uh, shortly after the Johnson goal, but I think Everton looked slightly better, but then in the second half, Probably until about maybe 10, 15 minutes ago, I thought Forrest looked good. Uh, they get the goal. And then after the goal, I feel like it was just a fun, helter-skelter. Someone someone might win this game. No one might win this game. Both of them were... like it, I don't think anyone was ever really settling for a draw. Probably Everton towards the last few minutes. But I feel like they still had their chances and they still pushed forward in, in the kind of like the last quarter of this game. What were your thoughts on, on Forrest-Everton? So, first of all, uh, you know... Everton get a nice break from former player John Joe Shelby just with a dab oh, yes. tackle inside the <laughs> yeah. box. It, and this is really, I mean, when you look at the two goals that uh, to Everton scored off a penalty, and then the second one was just like, you know, three headers in a row, and that finally the last one wound up at the back of the net. Just a classic long ball, plop it up, and boom, 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 it's in the back of the net. Um, and, and that's yeah, it's, a for, it's from a Everton Pickford free kick, right? Pickford took the free kick and just yeah. launched it this is only This is only the third time all year in the Premier League Everton have scored at least two goals. <laughs> and to get a draw is not great <laughs> when you score two <laughs> goals and you can't. Um, so, yeah, like... Um, that's got to be disappointing. Like, you know, they scored two goals, and they actually created a fair bit amount of chances. But, like, like we keep saying, like, Everton just do not have the talent up front to score. Even when they play well and they have nice stuff, they just can't finish at all. And, you know, this game, you know, the two goals they scored were kind of, you know, obviously a penalty and then kind of a, you know, classic Sean Deitch goal. Um it doesn't fill you with confidence. Like, can they do that consistently? Well, they're going to have to do it at least enough to, to get the points that they need to stay up. And then on the other side, I think Forrest, I mean, you look at this team, they got a lot of talent. I mean, they've brought in so many players over the last two transfer windows. But as you mentioned, your your you know country mate, Ben and Johnson, especially that second finish, just top left corner, perfectly paced. Um, you know, he was electric in this game, and he – you know, saved a point for Forrest. I think it's a it's a good point for Forrest just because they have a little bit of breathing room. So, you know, most importantly, you don't lose. You don't give Everton the great opportunity of getting three points. But, you know, if you're Forrest, you're not feeling great. You're in 14th on 26 points, only four points above Everton in the relegation zone. But um, I think you feel decent about this result. Yeah, and like you say, 
going behind at home, uh, I, I think they did well. And, uh, you know, their recent results have not been great. So, yeah, I, I think to my point about Leicester and there's still five teams below them, well, Forest are a team above them. So if you look at the six teams below Forest, can you think of four of them that are going to go on a run to kind of break down what is for some teams of a four point gap to, to overtake. I, I can't really necessarily see that happening. Um, just based on this, like obviously that can happen very quickly with a few results, but yeah, I, I, I just think they, yeah, I think a loss here would have really sucked them back into it, but it kept them just kind of their head just about above water for now. But yeah, Brennan Johnson, yeah, forced Gareth Bale into retirement because he saw what was coming through the ranks of Wales. Uh, someone who, you know, when he retires, will have another 50 minutes on the podcast talking about how great he was. Maybe not for you because if if he never plays for Spurs, but uh, he just definitely looks like a bright spark in this team. And uh, I imagine if they fail to stay up, then there'll be plenty of eyes on him uh, to try and keep him in the Premier League next year. Uh, we'll move on to a team that we... I think have given a lot of flowers this year and, and deservedly so. Brighton um, taking care of a, a West Ham side who, you know, we, we spoke about it last week about the floodgates opening and they, them scoring those four goals in 15 minutes or whatever it was, or three goals in 15 and no, three goals in 10, four in 15. Um, they just get absolutely annihilated here. Vintage performance from, from Brighton just showing what they can do, the good football they play. Uh, and just taking care of business, some some nice goals along the way. Uh, McAllister kicking things off with with the penalty, but yeah, did, did you ever feel this was in doubt, or or West Ham would kind of get into this after they went one 0 down? Uh, it was still only one 0 at halftime, but I, I felt like Brighton just at home. I think it was a foregone conclusion as soon as they they got on the score sheet. What were your thoughts? And I think this. Wait before before I hand it over to you. I think talking about John Joe Shelby's kind of dumb tackle. This was a a similar dumb tackle for the penalty. I just seem to think people just like to bundle over players at the moment in the penalty area, which just seems a little yep, silly. By Bowen. Yep. Yeah. So it was yeah. Just so I clumsy. think it's nice when you watch a game and the stats tell you what you saw is right. actually what happened. And this was a Brighton battering. I mean, there actually was almost four, which is unheard of for a team that isn't, you know, Manchester City, basically, or Liverpool. Uh, to, well, you know, Liverpool's, they just was only, battered. Liverpool's was only two-something, and they scored seven goals. Yes. So that well, puts that in yeah. perspective as well. <laughs> I mean, Brighton scored four, and they should have scored four. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not, I mean, they had 20 goal attempts, nine shots on goal. And this was just just a battering. Um <laughs> You know, West Ham did very little. I mean, Bowen had one opportunity in the first half. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Mac Allister, um, they just, they're just, you know, Matoma. I mean, what what more can be said? I mean, he's been so good. Um, uh, you know, um, you know, Sally Marsh on that first goal, just, um, just outside the box was a great finish. Um, you know, it, it, there wasn't actually a goal. It was just it was before the um, Bowen penalty. It was just a great move inside the box. He didn't finish, but um, the second goal was kind of a funny one. It was just a corner where it just fell. Um, <laughs> it just kind of it was almost like the Bournemouth uh, Arsenal where it just kind of just the ceased part and the ball just wound up there and Veltman was just right there and just yeah. kind of gently headed it in. Like, okay, sure, I'll take advantage of this. Um, what I want to say, I, I give. Kind of Matoma his flowers. There's also another guy on this team. I uh, deserve some flowers. Um, 
by a young man by the name of Evan Ferguson, an 18-year-old Irishman. Um, he looks like a player, uh, like a proper player. Uh, maybe th- this generation's Roy Keane. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he was he was uh, not Roy Keane. Um, the guy up front. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane, yes. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, I don't think I don't see too much Robbie Keane in him. But yeah, he looks like a, a Robbie Keane. Uh, just uh, slightly different players there. But... <laughs> but Evan Ferguson's like an old-fashioned striker. You know, yeah. he's not like a. You know, he he holds the ball up well. Um, he's like a target man. Like I, I really like what I'm seeing. I think he's going to play really well for Ireland if they can ever get enough talent around him. I mean, just look at this team grows Casado. Obviously, we had the huge rumor about Casado going to Arsenal. What Toma, McAllister, Sully Marsh, Evan Ferguson. Like, this is a, a team that's budding with talent. And I think this is a team where I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. But if they can keep the summer transfer window, you know, everyone's going to be trying to get somebody on the squad. And if they can just sell maybe the right player, they can bolster the rest of the team. This is a team where... I don't, you know, they, they, you know, if you look at the table, they still somehow have three games in hand, and if they win all of them, they'd climb up to fourth. But so they're in the Champions League place. They're really on the Europa League, you know, conversation. And this is a team that strikes me where if they can keep these guys together, next year it could be a really special year for them. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of talk when when Trossard obviously left for Arsenal. Um, I think it's almost helped. Uh, him leaving I think there was talks of him kind of being unhappy and and wanting to move and it's kind of worked out for all parties then like you ship him out you get some money in return you've got some players waiting in the wings that have stepped up and and played and yeah that's what I mean by selling the right player that's what I mean when I say sell and they did it and like you said he's kind of he's helped Arsenal he did come off with an entry in the game but yeah exactly you're definitely exactly what i was saying yep yeah so let's move on to a another well, game just which... one thing on west ham sure uh we don't want to give them the short shift uh, especially <laughs> when they look so rubbish the uh one of the few say, teams in london <laughs> one of the few teams in london i can beat up on this team is like i think i mentioned it last time this team is too good to be in the relegation fight in terms of you know pocket to bowen ings uh, ben Rama, Declan Rice, Suchek. I mean, that's a lot of talent. I mean, that's more talent than almost. I mean, I think I would say in the attacking front, that's more talent than Newcastle has. You know, right. if, if I would gladly switch the Newcastle front six for the West Ham front six, and yet they're not getting results. Stephen Moyes looks bewildered. He's got to be in the hot seat. You know, if if they don't get a result, um, and look who they have this week. Um, they have Villa at home. I mean, that's a huge game. I, I think if he doesn't get at the very least a point, if not three, he's probably going to get the sack because, uh, I mean, granted, I don't know who would take over, but you can't just keep stick. you know, can't, you got to change something on the sinking ship. I mean, I, I can't really explain how this team is going from Europa League semifinal against Rangers, almost winning it to where they are now. But th- this team is just wildly underperforming. Yeah, and it, it's, it's the talent's not translating to the pitch though, right? Like it's not like they're getting unlucky and they like this game they were second best. Like, and I think I said, but it we've last seen week. it work. We've seen right. it work, you know. But just in such small flashes, like like I said last week, and I think we kind of disagreed slightly on this that it was only a matter of time for the, those floodgates to open for those four goals. But like my point was, it still only happened in such a short period of time, and there was still what was it 75 minutes or whatever it was until they started scoring 70 minutes that they didn't they weren't like 
converting their talent into performance on the pitch and getting the goals and I think that's where something is missing this year and like you say is it a change of manager that can tap into these players in a different way to motivate them a different way or like what is it And but yeah it needs to happen fast but it's, it's yeah I, they, they've got the talent I think if you look at the squads of the teams that are in this relegation battle I think they probably should be the safest but <laughs> like until it starts converting into results they're well in that mix but yeah, let's move on to another corner goal. Uh, Chelsea beating Leeds United 1-0 at home. Um, I think Chelsea should have been about 2 or 3-0 up at halftime. Jao Felix had a couple of really good chances uh, that he can convert. Leeds... Talk about saying the same thing over and over. <laughs> yeah, like it's. I feel like we're going to get to the point where we can just not do the podcast anymore and just cut the, the team's performances <laughs> together from each week to each week. Um, but this time they were able through Fofana from a header from the corner to, to get the victory. And I think, I think if they're playing a team that are better than Leeds United, uh, they don't win on the weekend. But, you know, you can only beat who's ahead of you. Um kind of punishing leads uh keeping leads just above the the relegation zone but well in that mix um leads i think we've we've spoken about a lot as well of where are their results going to come from what's the you know they obviously changed the manager didn't really appear to have changed too much or hasn't really appeared to have changed too much so far um I think Potter probably just bought himself maybe a bit more time <laughs> as Chelsea manager with this result. But I like if I watched the game, I wouldn't think, oh, you know, Chelsea are back. They're fine. There's nothing to worry about because it, it was far from convincing um, in terms of the, the chances that they continue to waste. I think it was probably convincing with, with how they played. And I don't know that they ever looked like losing, but they didn't look great. They didn't look dominant. Uh, a way that they should be taking care of Leeds at home. What were your thoughts on on Chelsea versus Leeds? Yes, I think just quickly. I think I texted uh, you know Kyle, who was yeah, Kyle Murphy, who was on the pod when we did our deep dive into Chelsea. And I basically just texted him, uh, "You're basically playing your little brother, a team <laughs> that can create a lot and not score." And you know, sure enough, the XG for both teams was higher than what they actually scored in this one. Yeah. Um, just two teams that are kind of like a mirror image with Chelsea just being a better team. Um, you know, I think you mentioned that Joao Felix just nailing the crossbar, crossbar yeah. in the first half. I mean, uh, Sterling plays a great ball, um, you know, behind the defenders, and Joao Felix should finish it and just clocks it clean off the top. And then I think you mentioned it. All these ways, you know. You know, Sterling had a good opportunity. All these opportunities that Chelsea had in this game, and of course, the way that they finally break through is on a Fafana corner, because um, that's just how you score sometimes, right? Yeah, back to basics. You know, Chelsea. I think they're just. I mean, for Grand Potter's sake, they need to. They're gonna play this kind of football. They need to just finish a couple of these chances, whether it's score off corner or whatever. They just have to score enough for him to keep his job. And then in the summer, they need to get a striker, because I think. This is a team that, you know, we talked about Liverpool, maybe just, just you know, a, a, if they get a Bellingham and maybe another defender, they could be right back at the title, um, back in the title race. I think Chelsea are the same way. If they, It's going to be hard to find. I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to get Aussie men from Napoli, but if they can get that elite striker, I think that could solve so many problems on this team. Yeah, for sure. I think... Uh... They're blessed with deep pockets that will be willing to spend. I think the hard thing is, is who who are they going to 
trust to be the manager are they going to keep on around but we've 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 spoken about that plenty uh, in recent weeks uh joe i think it's it's about time we've we've delayed this long enough uh there's a game that we need to talk about uh which admittedly with with everything else that was going around on, uh, at the same time and some of the other games i didn't pay keen keen attention to this but i'm sure you did as uh adam Atreore scores in the 82nd minute to see Wolverhampton wandering beat Tottenham yep. Hotspur. Yep. Joe, the floor is yours. Yeah, so I think um, this is a perfect Tottenham game in the sense where Dami Traore has been a transfer target of Tottenham forever. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he spurned them once for Barcelona. It was like, oh, we're going to pay the fee? No, no, no. And of course, if you if you gave me $1,000 before the game and told me Wolves were going to win 1-0, I would have put $1,000 on Traore scoring the goal. Of course, in the 82nd minute, that's what happens. Um, look, I think last week, and I, I think I should say I didn't give Sheffield um, the Blaze, Sheffield United, enough credit for their performance last week. They they kind of played like a second team um, and still were able to get the result. I was just so dismayed by Tottenham, and I wanted an FA Cup so badly. They put off kind of like a, a split for a squad, giving some guys rest like Kane and Kulusevski, and they look so crappy, and... They just wasted a, a real legitimate chance they have for a trophy. First, first one since the League Cup since 2008. First FA Cup since you know 91, and it was just a wasted opportunity. So I was that kind of broke me last week. This this performance actually, it was. I'm not surprised they lost that Wolves at all, but I actually thought the performance was decent. I think in the first half they were really unlucky not to score. Son hit um, one off the pole, uh, one off the crossbar. Pedro Porro had a free kick, nailed it off the the crossbar as well. Um, they were the better team than Wolves pretty pretty clearly in the first half. I think the second half was more of a wit. Wolves kind of grinded them down, and Wolves kind of started over the last 15 to 20 minutes really having the better chances. You know, Ruben Neves had a shot from outside, and then finally the Troyori rattles it in. Just, you know, a game of inches, right? Son and Poro just hit the crossbar. Uh, Troyori just hits the under of right. the crossbar and just kind of rattles it. That's football, right? A <laughs> game of inches. So, you know, I'm not dismayed necessarily by the performance. It's just a typical Spurs performance, right? They 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 rest their players midweek in the FA Cup, and they go out and they lose to Wolves anyway. And they obviously have a big Champions League tie, which I guess matters, but it's like they have no shot of winning the Champions League. So other than adding some revenue to the club, it doesn't um, – it doesn't really matter because they're not going to win the Champions League, right? right. Um, so yeah, it's and obviously you saw Liverpool, and it looks like top four is 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 getting um, closer. You know, a, yeah, <laughs> a closer race. You know, um, so yeah, I just you know, like I said, it's it's more the result than the performance that I was disappointed in, but uh, you know, to be expected. It's just it's not a very good team. Conte will be going in the summer. We'll see what they'll do if they'll go with poach or potch or what they'll do but um yeah just the typical typical uh ton of performance yeah and there's there's a world in which man united continue to self-implode and you know tottenham and liverpool can both finish top four i mean united have lost one game so (laughs) uh but just to, to talk about wolves and this was a huge victory for them um takes them up six points clear of the drop zone absolutely it was just uh yeah they defended molyneux terrifically that's uh we've spoken about it a lot, you know, in relegation battle, when you win your games at home and you're going to be in a good shot, and I think they've they've put some distance between them and the bottom three, and, and 
yeah, if they can keep grinding out results, I think, as, as we've mentioned, these results will be a grind um, for, for all of these teams. But, uh, yeah, it's a huge three points for them and, and give them some breathing room for another couple of weeks. Uh, that takes us to the, the last game that we saw uh, on, on Saturday, which was the uh, the Villa-Crystal Palace game. Um, Put this last for a reason. Yeah, Palace actually, they scored, right? And they got disallowed for offside. They did score. And uh, it was, uh, I think it was, you know, clearly offside as, as VAR. Uh, no, it, was, it wasn't. I mean, it was clearly, <laughs> but I mean, Zaha was like just an inch offside. Yeah, it's, it, no, uh, that's what I mean. I, I, I mean, it's a VAR clearly offside as in it's probably yeah. his big toe or something. Uh, <laughs> this, this but yeah, and offside. I will say just on that goal, this is kind of what, you know, Palace have been missing. They've been missing Zaha incredibly. This is the one guy who can can poach a few goals. Obviously, he's been out for you know a month or so here, and they badly needed him. So, you know, we saw it even on that first goal that was just a little off. He adds a spark that no one else on this team has. And look, you know, Palace are in this. They're in this battle. I mean, Villa with this win especially have kind of given themselves a nice cushion in 11th but Palace on 12th there I mean they're two bad results would be right back in the middle of it uh if not in the relegation zone so um yeah I mean I just you know the Zaha goal um just a friggin awful goal by uh by Anderson you know uh Cash comes in for for Villa and just crosses it and it shouldn't have been that hard to clear it out but uh Anderson just missed times it makes a mess of it and then really, um, you know, Villa were a little unlucky. Ali Watkins said if he had one point blank chance where he had to, I don't know how he didn't score, but he just, you know, set it wide, which was unfortunate for them. And then he had another opportunity late um, that, you know, just um, just didn't get it in. But he did create, like, a, you know, the difference between those two teams, right, is yeah. Villa having Ali Watkins who can create and score and – Crystal Palace haven't had that for Zaha in the last month, so we'll see. But um, you know, another solid three points for Villa, and you know they should be staying up. Yeah, and Ollie Watkins, of course, came through the Exeter City ranks. You know, gotta give that nod every time we talk about him, which is frequently Exeter born and bred. Ollie Watkins, good hero down at the real St James's Park. But we can do a deep dive on that one day in the future. Uh, then we did Joe. We did have a match today, uh, this evening. Must admit, I was I was working, so I've seen the goals. I didn't wasn't able to watch the full game. Um, but from from seeing the goals, we had a deflected goal. We had a, a ball come back off the post for a tap in. Uh, we had a Solomon, yep. We, yeah, the we had Jewish, a... the Jewish savior, Solomon, <laughs> with, a, with a classic uh, finish. I think someone else has the title of Jewish king, right? Or, uh, I don't know about that. There's some, there's some big book somewhere, but we don't need to get into religion here. Um, oh, you're the one that brought it up. <laughs> the uh, yeah, and then there was a penalty, which just again just seemed to be some dumb. I, I thought of... I don't know, maybe I missed all this, but I don't understand how that was a penalty. But like he obviously like, there's like contact, but like it just it like just... I think of all the penalties we saw, I think you know we talked about a couple that you know the West Ham one on Bowen, and there was another one that we talked about. I thought they were both good calls. This one, I I really didn't think it was a penalty. I don't know. I thought yeah. they were a little hard done. Anthony Taylor working his magic yet again. Yeah, it just but it also like wasn't really related to the play either. Like it was kind of like a coming together. Oh, yeah, like, like yeah, it was it was an odd one. Like I it thought just... they had equal rights to the ball. 
Yeah, it's just kind of a clash, but yeah, uh, so Tony, I thought that was that was harsh. Tony obviously scoring uh, the penalty like he does. I don't think he's missed the penalty in a in a while. Could be wrong. Someone can fact check me there. Uh, and then the final goal was kind of getting in around the back of Fulham and just cutting it back for a, for a tap in. And um, Brentford, a Brentford legit. I, I, I've given Fulham a lot of praise, um, but you know Brentford taking care. These of are two similar in. teams. These are two similar teams. That's what they are. They're having very good years. They're slightly overachieving. They play good football. They can score. Um, both are a little weak at the back, if we're being honest. But, you know, look, Brentford have scored 40. Fulham have scored 38. They're 7th and ninth in the league. One point difference. These are almost two teams I think are dead even. To, if I'm being honest, they're having good seasons. They're just below Europe, European spots. I mean, I guess 7th is probably a Conference League spot at this point. But, you know, I think um, both teams should be very proud. They play good stuff. They're just kind of – they're like two teams in the middle class of the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think where they are kind of higher than maybe they should be is, is teams like Chelsea obviously having a down year. Um, you know, Everton are usually in that kind of mid-table mix and obviously really not doing well right now. West Ham – we saw last year there's been a few drops so they kind of they've taken the places of some of those teams that are usually in the fringe of, of European places and I just think it's it's kind of fascinating that we have Fulham, Brighton and Brentford win a row and I think I think Brighton out of the, the three and we've obviously spoken about this a lot are probably the best team of those three and for some reason have only played 23 games when some teams have played 26 um, which which is kind of weird um, so they've obviously got some, some game in hand in the teams around them but yeah I think I, I, I think Fulham and Brentford are teams that barring some crazy change I think they've got yeah, I'm not. I'm not thinking that like this is a fluke, and next year they're going to be in a relegation battle. I think they've got some good foundations, and they play very good football. Um, Brentford, I, I think. I, that, sorry, go ahead. I, no, I just think it's hard to know with these teams. Yeah, I, I, I think, think Brighton. I feel better about because they have so much talent. But Bref, Brentford and Fulham, I just feel like the margins are so thin between them and even like a Leicester. Right, like going right. into this year, we never would have thought Leicester would have been in the deal relegation battle, but here they are. So I just, you know, I just, you know, I just think it's, um, you know, these teams seem better, but one or two transfers, maybe an injury or two, and they're kind of right back there. Yeah. I think the, the for the rest of the season with Brentford, it's really going to be whatever is going to happen with Tony and his pending suspension or non-suspension yep. about, I think he's now pleaded guilty to 180-something charges of gambling and, <laughs> and fun stuff like that. I don't think it's to the level of like match-fixing, but it's obviously going to come with some form of penalty. Uh, no pun intended after he scored the penalty today, but he, I think that will be a big loss for him. He's such a big target man um, up front for them, and you know, like I say, his penalty scoring is... I think yeah, twenty two now. I just looked it up. Twenty two penalties in a row that he scored. If you if you if your marksman's doing that, then you know a penalty is almost a guaranteed goal at this point. Um, but yeah, I think they're they're, they're a team. Both of these teams um, have been fun. They've had some good results along the way, and yeah, I think they they deserve to be where they are. Um, anything else to say on on the weekend's games, Joe? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Well, I already sport my loser, Bruno Fernandez, just for his kind of petulance. 
<laughs> loud, loud quitting on the pitch. Uh, who was your loser this week, Joe? Uh, my loser is um, whatever daft Liverpool fan uh, paid <laughs> for the banner to fly over Anfield that told John Henry to sell the team. <laughs> Just how, uh, you know, ungrateful can you be? I mean, I know John Henry, the Super League, it, it's not great, right? Um, you know, it's not, you know, it could have ruined football, and I understand why there'd be some aggression there. But to, for it to rise to the level where you fly a banner over, when, I mean, <laughs> look at the success you've had as of late. I mean, you won the Premier League in 2019. You won, what, the Champions League the same year. Uh, well, just last year you won the FA Cup. I think you, you did the double, right? You won the League Cup, too, because you yeah. almost did the contract. Yeah, so you did the domestic double in the Cups. I mean, just lost, last year. Lost, you're lost having two one Champions League year. finals. You know, keep, right, I didn't even mention that. Keep in <laughs> mind, you've spent just this year on Nunez and um, Gagpo. So, I mean, it's not like they're not spending. I just, you know, just, <laughs> just because the team is not quite as good as you want, I mean, I just don't think you can blame ownership. And I just, uh, I just think it's really ungrateful, you know. Have some, you know, where were you from 1993 to, <laughs> what, 2015? Like, where were you? Like, so, yeah. well, pipe and, down. Yeah, and like, yeah, just to add on to that point, I think there's at least two of the, the titles that Man City won went down to the last game of the season. And, you know, it was Man City going in ahead at that point but you know there's it, there's a different story where Liverpool have a couple more titles under the belt one of those they finished second with I think the third highest or maybe at the time it was even the second highest point total anyone had ever got so basically the Man City team that finished ahead of them was the only the only better Premier League team in history above them when they scored when I think that was when it was either 98 and 97 points or 97 96 points but yeah there's nothing to be sad about as a Liverpool fan and I kind of alluded to that um, another loser of the week was the dumb Liverpool fan that ran onto the pitch after the seventh goal and uh, nearly injured at least two of the players. Uh, Jurgen Klopp had a few choice words for him as he was taken off. It's like, just just don't be an idiot. Don't injure your own players. Don't injure any players. But, you know, it, yeah, don't run onto the pitch. Uh, Joe, who was your winner this week? Um, My winner, my winner, my winner is... Drum roll, please. ABC. So ABC is a broadcast network in the United States. ESPN parent company is Disney. And they've decided on April 1st, instead of putting their classic gear behind a paywall, they have graciously decided and smartly decided, in my opinion, to put it on broadcast TV. So <laughs> April 1st, 1230 Hopefully, it's a title decider. Both Dortmund and Bayern are currently tied on points. Hopefully, um, that game will mean everything, and it'll be nice. It'll have a nice television audience, 12.30 p.m., April 1st. The biggest match in Germany. Probably one of the bigger matches they'll ever have this year. And it's getting the proper treatment, which I love to see. Nice. Nice, yeah. It's always good when football is accessible, especially when... You know, in places like the States where trying to grow the game, show these big games, that's what's going to get people hooked. You know, a lot of people got hooked on the back of the World Cup. Obviously, a lot of fun to be had there. So, yeah, the more the more eyes on it, the more people are going to get engaged. Uh, my winner. So, Joe, I have to walk walk back. Come up, so, well, actually, I don't have to walk back any of my comments from last week. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm willing to dish out criticism and uh, strongly worded feedback about MLS 360, uh, 
someone listened, probably not to this podcast, but I think enough people complained about it that this week I watched MLS 360 and they basically changed everything. Uh, there was still commercials. I think you mentioned last week that's not going to go away in a hurry. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, but this time we weren't watching it through the back of four people looking at big screens. They always had a game on. Um, they still had the panel talking in the studio, which I don't know how necessary it really is. Um, I guess it's just a way to get some of these these pundits jobs. But you know, when you've got commentary teams at every game anyway, because every game is broadcast uh, independently, I don't see why you don't just use use the commentary that's going on. But that is what it is, and you know that's a minor criticism. I didn't even have the sound on um, when I was watching it, so it didn't really bother me at all. But it was nice to see uh, that you know we could actually watch some football while football was going on. So yeah, I like I say, want to give the credit my winner of the week was my loser last week and they came back they came back strong and you know it's only week two and hopefully they continue to be open to feedback and there's nothing worse than when people kind of resist it and say no our way is right even though everyone is telling them wrong it was nice to see that they are obviously open and, and willing to make that change um yeah so joe any anything else before we wrap up uh if anyone wants to email in how can they how can they do so yep the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com Perfect. And follow us on Twitter at WrongFootPod. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. And uh, check out our website, wrongfootpodcast.com. Um, yeah, some some exciting games coming out. We've got Champions League back this midweek. Um, and then, you know, another week of Premier League fixtures to look ahead to. Uh, but, Joe, it's uh, it's been fun as always. I know probably a little less fun for you than me this week on the back of the results. But, you know, the joys of the beautiful game that there will be weeks when i am happy weeks when you are sad and you know hopefully there's some good weeks when both of us are happy but i i don't yep. know if we, i don't know if we've hit one of those yet but maybe one Listen, day there is that unicorn. next week i just i hope to be the cock of the walk that's all i can say <laughs> sounds good well thanks joe it's always fun take it easy rich Let's get on out, off we go.